Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Hello to those online as well. Good morning to you. And we are starting a new sermon series. Woo! Okay, good, yeah. So, <laughs> never know sometimes. I'm looking around to see if anybody's like, oh, no, not a new one. But anyways, but we're so glad to be in worship with you here today. And uh, for those online as well that you join with us. And uh, we're going to be doing something maybe a little different that we haven't done in just a little bit. Uh, and that is that we're going to jump into Scripture uh, but instead of getting kind of into a specific scripture and to really jump in and delve into uh, maybe a, a very kind of close-up view of a certain couple verses, uh, I want to take some time and do a little bit more kind of uh, backed-up view, if you will. You know, kind of as if you're on your MapQuest or whatever, or MapQuest doesn't even exist anymore, on your Maps on your phone app, right? And you zoom out, you hit that minus button, and it kind of zooms out kind of thing, and you see more of the lay of the land. I want to do something like that. And so... Um, wanted to, us to look at just some of the letters of Paul. It's the next four weeks we're going to be looking at uh, four letters of Paul. So if you want to get ahead of yourself, uh, we're going to do Galatians today. Next week will be the book right after that, which is Ephesians, right? If you want to get ahead even more, you can go to Philippians. And if you want to go ahead even more, you can go to Colossians. Now, when I was little, and by little I mean like a teeny, well, I was like in my teeny kind of years, kind of teeny bopper years, uh, I remember uh, my, either my youth pastor or someone told me this, you know, and you're told a whole bunch of things when you're trying to, you know, go to church and do all this stuff as a kid, and most of it, you know, a lot of you don't remember, but sometimes just something sticks with you. And I'll have you know, out of all the things that stuck with me, this one did, knowing the order of these four books. And you would say, well, pastor, how do you remember this? It's because of this. It was a little, one of those kind of mnemonic devices that says, God's Electric Power Company. Now, that has no relevance for anything other to know than other than the order of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. But yet, it has stuck with your pastor. And I pass that great knowledge on to you now. May you be blessed here. So we're calling our sermon series uh, God's Electric Power Company, naturally. But uh, you can understand as we look at these books, we'll be uh, kind of looking at not just specific verses, but we're going to be looking at just kind of the whole idea of why were these books written? What was the point of them? And kind of some big, huge thrust of each book that we can take with us. But first, let us pray. Lord, as we're gathered here today, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. The Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, when we look at books of the Bible, especially the letters of Paul, there's a few things we always want to keep in, in track in your mind. And so as you're reading through any of the books of the letters of Paul or any of the epistle letters that you see in the New Testament, there's a few things you want to keep in mind uh, to that. Uh, number one, remember this, that it was a great cost to send letters in the ancient world. In fact, it was extremely costly because not only did you have to find a scribe, you had to take the time to sit down with that scribe and write out the letter, and then you had to actually get someone to go to deliver said letter, 
That was after you bought the really expensive materials to actually write it down in the first place and that. And so you never were guaranteed that your letter would even get there. So to take, it was a great act of faith, a great act of cost, a great taking upon oneself to even write a letter. And the fact that these letters were not only written, but then they went to wherever they were sent to, and those people said, this is a good letter, let's hold on to it. They didn't just rip it up, right, and throw it out, but they held on to it and used it. In fact, other churches said, hey, that letter actually really means something. Even though it wasn't written to us, we want a copy of it too. And they took the time to actually copy it and send it over until all the churches of the areas had these letters, right? That's how this happens in history. And so it's kind of funny and ironic to think that a church in Alexandria, Egypt, for instance, had copies of letters that were sent to the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians in the first place because it wasn't written to them, right? It was written to a specific, specific group of people. And yet we can remember that and how powerful these letters must have been that in such an ancient world, they were given this authority to, to be copied on. But they were written, of course, for the second reason, is because the person who's writing them couldn't actually go visit the place themselves. And so if you think about that, they wouldn't be writing this letter if they had the opportunity to actually travel, because that was the first thing they do. They first would just get up and go to the place. If there was something that needed addressing, they would go do it in person and handle it in person. And secondly, if they couldn't do it, they would send somebody on their behalf if there was somebody worthy. And then third option was to send the letter, right? And so it's maybe kind of one of these cool quinky dinks in history if uh, you're not a believer in God, or if you're a believer in God, maybe God's had his hand in it, that the, sometimes the apostles weren't able to go travel to wherever they needed to go. In fact, they couldn't even send a representative for them on behalf of them. They had to send a letter. And the fact that they wrote it down, it comes to us today exactly to the people that they wrote it to in the first place. And so as you were reading these, we need to remember not only are these the words of the apostles, but they're words written to a church for specific reasons. And so uh, as many times as we read it and we try to apply it directly to our lives, a lot of times we have to think back of what was going on in that church. Why was this letter written? This is what we want to delve into today during this time. But before we get to that, I wanted to show you uh, a couple things here first. And so uh, we have a little PowerPoint slide here that we should uh, be able to move forward and uh, let you know a couple things about uh, this book. So I mentioned to you uh, that I, I first heard about God's Electric Power Company and VBS. Kind of, I think, if my memory is correctly, because I didn't really have VBSs growing up. My churches didn't do it, but we did almost like VBS things for that. Uh, if you could go ahead and move forward for the next slide uh, here today. Now, you might ask yourself uh, this question. It's always worthy to say, well, where is these books, right? Where are these written to? And in fact, uh, Galatians is a very unique book for a number of reasons. The first one is this, is it's not an actual town. It's not a place. It's not a city, if you will. It is a place in the sense that it's a region. And so this is one of the unique books of the Bible that wasn't written specifically to a specific church, for instance, in Colossae or to Philippi or to somewhere like that. This was written to an area called Galatia. And the other thing to know about this is Galatia was sort of the derogatory term for that area. So when you said Galatians, it was not exactly most... Uh, tactful, I guess, in some ways, and most, most tasteful, if you will. In some ways, you were basically saying, hey, this is the area of the barbarians, right? And so when Paul writes to the Galatians, there's some words that are going in there, even by using this term and this area. But it was written to a group of churches for them to understand what was going on. I'm going to go ahead and go to the next slide. But this book is also unique because, of course, there's a problem. Um, in some books we have problems, some we don't, but this book, we absolutely, this letter that is, we have a big problem that's going on. And here's the problem, essentially. So when Christianity first started, it was a bunch of Jewish people who blew their faith in Christ. And so they were Jews, and 
Now they were Jews who believed in Jesus. The question was, is as it started spreading in this gospel message of Jesus and his resurrection and Jesus sending them out to all the nations of the world, the question was, if you are Gentile and you put your faith in Christ, do you first have to be Jewish, right? And what parts of the Jewish part of it still are valid, right? And if you stop and think about it, that's a huge, huge question. And the church had to deal with this actually in chapter uh, Acts chapter 15. And so they actually dealt with this, and, and there were kind of different theories and thoughts on it, but eventually the church came together and said, God is extending his grace to the people all around the world. We see God's Holy Spirit through this. Therefore, let them only do these two things. Let them not drink the blood of animals pretty much and do some bloody things like that, which where they said, nope, don't do that. And they actually said, let them be sexually moral, if you will. And then they said, uh, other than that, like we're not going to require anything of the Jewish uh, law in their life, in a sense. Now, you might stop there and say, uh, Pastor, what about like the Ten Commandments? Uh, the answer was, is that was the moral code. They expected you to keep living the Ten Commandments, right? But the idea was, is what makes you Jewish? And in the ancient world, the way you were Jewish was because you had the sign of the covenant in your life. Specifically, that was through something that happened to the male body when they were young, when, when they were first born, is that there was this act of circumcision. And uh, every time when I taught this when I was a youth pastor, kids would go, hee, 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 hee. So I was wondering if you guys would laugh and, and whatever. But uh, as you're here today, there's no way around it. Like, there was this act of circumcision, which uh, was actually um, a pretty public thing. For instance, it's kind of awkward to think about this, but uh, if you went down to the local bath, you were just hanging out naked, right? And everybody saw, if you were circumcised, everybody knew you were circumcised. If you went to uh, go do sports, you went down to the, you know, kind of complex arena, if you will, kind of area, and you did your sports naked, right? And there were all these kind of weird, kind of, that we think of weird, I should say, kind of aspects of life that you would just run in and know specifically that person is Jewish. This person is not, right? It was just, it was there blatantly right in front of your eyes, so to speak, uh, in those moments. And the question was, is, is, as this kind of got going, there was a group of people and the apostles themselves and all the church that said, look, People who are Gentile don't have to be circumcised to have faith in Christ. But there were these other people, they called them the Judaizers. And the Judaizers said this, is you absolutely, as a Gentile, have to be circumcised in order to be in the faith of Christ. And so this started going around. In fact, it got to the point where churches that had had people standing, you know, being together and worshiping and even eating together was a large part of church. The potlucks started from the beginning, y'all. It's a, it's a holy thing, right? Don't stop the potlucks but they would have potlucks, if you will, and eat together. It got to the point where there were the uncircumcised people could sit at this table in some places, and the circumcised people were over here. And the apostles, you know, were the teachers and the, the people leading the congregation were supposed to only go over here because these were the true holy people. These other people, they kind of let them through the door, but you know, it's kind of like this. And in fact, if you, you read Galatians, it's interesting because Paul takes this on head on. In fact, he even mentions that this was a very persuasive argument for a lot of people. A lot of people were falling into it. That, that the, Jew, the, the, the Gentiles, for instance, had to become Jews first before they could put their faith in Christ. And in fact, as we read it, one of the interesting things that uh, we only find out in Galatians, and we don't read about this really anywhere else, is Paul and Peter had an argument, right? You're like, wait, what? It's in there. It's in Galatians. It actually talks about how Paul had to actually go to Peter because Peter, at some point, caved in started going only hanging out with these people. Now, he didn't preach that you had to be it, but he started hanging out only with them because that's what they wanted him to do. And Paul had to call him out at one of the meetings in one of the, the churches, and he said, I called him out. Guess what? 
He, Paul actually was right in the argument. Paul, or Peter, that is, actually con, you know, conceded that he was being right and actually changed his ways, and he was reminded of this story. And so as you read Galatians, this is the big act that is going on. And so Paul doesn't word this. He doesn't, he's not coy about his tense at all. And so, for, for instance, uh, here's a, a, a quote from the book of Galatians that you can read. Lie, broker. <laughs> yeah. So one of the first, one of the at the beginning of the book, one of the first things he says, he says, "You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you?" Right. I don't know if you, you know, know pastors that get kind of fiery sometimes, but Paul was fired up, needless to say. And in fact, normally when you read a book, one of the other unique things about Galatians is that when you read the beginning, Paul says normally these words. Whenever he writes a letter, he writes to the church. He says, "Hi." I am Paul, I'm Paul the Porter, you know, you know me, I'm Paul, I'm Paul the Porter, the will of God, uh, blessings, and may the glory of Christ be upon you, all these things. And then he normally says, I give thanks to God every single moment when I remember you, because I see your faith, right? Well, when you read Galatians, when that part of, I thank God every time I see you, it actually doesn't say those words. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly uh, deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. In other words, when Paul saw this going on, he realized what was at the stake of it. What was at stake was not the idea that you put your faith in Christ, in Christ's actions on the cross. What he saw at stake was the idea that people were starting to put their faith in their actions before they could put their faith in Christ. Paul said, no. No, no, no. Unquivocally, no, no, no. And he reminds them in this book time and time again of the Old Testament uh, heroes, if you will, and how Abraham was a man of faith that had no outward sign or no, no any of that. In fact, Abraham, who was the one that first started with the whole circumcision thing, before he was even circumcised, right, there was this act of faith in his life, and that was what was credited to him as righteous. He reminds the people these words. And throughout it, he reminds them over and over again that it is faith in Christ, Christ in his work over and over and over, that there's no hindrance coming to Christ other than faith in him. There's no way to God that you have to go through or hoop or hurdle that you have to do. You don't have to become a Gentile that turns Jewish before you can be a Jesus follower. You are available here and now to find the Son of God and to put your faith in him. Paul was adamant about that. When Peter slipped kind of up and kind of started, not, you know, I don't think he meant to do it on purpose, but when he, when he started kind of doing his actions and his actions sort of started insinuating that that was the case. Paul called him out. Peter, who the church was built upon, the rock, said, you're right. And started not doing those things that he was doing. It's amazing in this book, because there's so many acts in this book, that so many verses we could focus on. But I wanted to focus on this one here today that we read. Because I think um, it's, it's kind of misused today of what it's actually saying. And I don't want to lose the profoundness and the depth of what Paul is actually writing here. I remember um, uh, doing a lot of Bible studies and, and leading them. You know, one of them, uh, long-term Bible studies like Disciple. There's another one called Covenant. And if I remember correctly, I kind of get them crisscrossed because each one has sort of the same format. What they do is there's a couple people, pastors, and they interview other kind of scholarly people, if you will, and they, they talk about a certain aspect of faith as they walk through reading the whole Bible. And it's a, both are just a great, amazing things, and you'll learn all sorts of stuff. You'll hear points of view that you're like, I don't agree with that whatsoever, right? Uh, and on things like that. But when I was going through it, there was one lady that talked about this idea 
that went to this verse, and she said, you know what? When I read these verses, that you all are sons of God through faith in Christ. For you were all baptized in Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. You are belong to Christ. And you are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to promise. And I remember sitting there reading when she read that, she said, now, I don't think Paul means that there's none of these, right? What he really meant to say was this, and then she goes on and gives her kind of thought. And I remember thinking, well, that's not what it says at all, right? <laughs> and in fact, kind of a lot of times when this verse is used, it's kind of under this idea that there's people of all, you know, of, of diversity, if you will, and, and that's true. There's all sorts of diversity and all these things, but his point is not that we all claim these different diverse things. His point is that those diverse things aren't even our true identities anymore. Right? That we're relinquishing all those things. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither uh, you know, uh, 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 male or female. And what he's saying about there right there is, hey, your whole faith, your whole identity, your whole being now is found in Christ Jesus. And I think he understood. Yeah, I know you guys live in Galatia, right? And I, today he would talk to us and say, I know you guys are American. That shouldn't be your primary thought, right? Your primary thought should be, I am a child of God. And if anything else comes before that thought, you've got to knock it off the pedestal because it's idolatry. He goes on, and he goes on to say in this book, in one of the unique things he says, see what letters I write with my own hand. And so in other words, when this original letter was written, Paul literally took it from the scribe. And we think uh, because of this, Paul maybe had bad eyesight. But he actually takes the pen and writes that sentence in the book, which is for sure 100% Paul writing this. And we know for a fact that at some point there was a piece of paper that was written to this church that had Paul's you know, signature, if you will, on it when he wrote it. He was so adamant that church, hey church, don't forget. There's no hurdle to come to Christ. There's no thing you have to do before you come to Jesus Christ. There's no other way to faith. Faith itself in Christ and his work is what saves you, what changes you. There's no other identity. There's no become a good United States citizen before you can be a Christian. There's no good you come and be whatever you want to put on that pedestal, if you will. It's to come to Jesus Christ, to him alone. So let us do so. Lord, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you so much for your word. As we continue to look through these books and what is shared with them, Lord, we remember that uh, your word speaks. God, we, thank, we are thankful that these books have come down to us, these letters that Paul wrote. And guys, we're here today, we remember how adamant Paul was fighting for your truth. That Jesus, you're available to all. That if we take that faith, Lord, you change our lives, you transform us. That God, the primary being of who we are, the primary lens in which we see this earth, is to be a child of God. So God, no matter where we are on the face of this earth, whether we speak the language, whether we have cultural differences, the clothes may look different, all these things, but if we have faith in you, we encounter another Christian that has faith in you, that we're deeper brothers than our next-door neighbors that look like us and talk like us and think like us. As we come to this table, Lord, we remember these great things and this truth that has been passed down to us. 